21. I may skip over a couple, but it's only because it serves the purpose of uh, relevance to the topic. <clears throat> Beginning at verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as the righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything, not some things, everything, as loss, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, or as the KJV says, as dung, or as in the contemporary way, as excrement, as feces, in, other, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having the righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him, the power of His resurrection, and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I might I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what, is, what lies behind and straining forward, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk accordingly to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears. Walk, uh, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be made like His glorious body, <laughs> by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Again, relating this passage to the topic of power of the resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, which is uh, central to the Christian faith, to the Christian walk, to the Christian message, to Christ and his mission that he commands us to fulfill in this life, that aside from morality, that aside from mere ethics, and aside from mere religiosity, it is often said that Jesus came not to make bad men good, but dead men live. And so,
That is what we preach, and that's what we proclaim, and that's what He calls us all to. Now, I want to say as a side note, because I, I hear horns and stuff like that, and I'm consciously aware of the tactics of the devil, I, 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 and I ask that we would, I should have said this already in uh, the beginning, but for us to silence our phones um, and to eliminate all distractions, to keep your mind focused on God. I, I remember about three years ago, <clears throat> I listened to this African brother who had come from Africa, and uh, he got saved. And what the fascinating thing was to me, it just brought it to the forefront of my mind and made me more consciously aware of the living reality of demonic forces. He said that he would uh, cast spells upon churches and that he was able to, through demonic power, to cause things to fall, or, uh, or he could even have people dead if he wanted to. And that stuck with me. And, and I don't suggest in any case that he as a Christian would be lying. And, uh, but know this, that the devil is in fact real. And I was telling the brother earlier, oftentimes he will be so cunning and strategic and subtle... So much so that whatever you hear in your head with your own thoughts and own voice, it really is Him, but He's so crafty that He will cause you and deceive you to buy into the lie that it really is from you. That's how subtle He is. Look at Peter. He wanted to do a great thing, quote unquote. He didn't want Jesus to go to the cross. Now, who compassionate? What compassionate-hearted individual would say, "Oh, that is a, that's not bad." But notice what Jesus says in response to him. He says, "Get behind me, Satan!" So, for you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And so, therefore, if in any case we ought to have the thoughts of God and the mind of God, we have to, in fact, be dead. And be raised up with resurrection power from on high. Amen? Amen. So I want, to, I want to point out to verse 3. Look at what he says. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God in glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. In other words, as spiritual people, as Christians... And we hear so often, oh, well, you know, I, I'm not there yet, or I'm still on milk. No, God has never designed for there to be a backslidden church. That's right. Christ did not shed His blood to the intent that we would live as carnal individuals. And what does a carnal individual do? They place their confidence in their flesh. They will look in the mirror for hours, or look in the mirror... Uh, admiring their own beauty or their own physique. That's putting confidence in the flesh. They will try to, even in the church, they will move this aside very subtly. They'll still derive messages from this book, but you know what they'll do? Before the sight of God, maybe not literally, they literally, not literally, but before the sight of God, they'll rip verses out and say, no, I don't like that. Uh, People are not coming to Christ, and so 
as an alternative, I will employ these strategies uh, surmised by the flesh, and as a result, we'll get fleshly results. But we ought not to behave or conduct or order our lives in such a fashion. Because as Paul says very clearly, he says in Galatians, and I'm going to just turn there right there, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And you know what he says? Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. That's right. For whatever one sows that will he also reap. It's an inevitable law God has set in motion similar to the law of gravity in that you cannot violate it. It, the results may be suspended because of the mercy of God, but do not be deceived, as Paul said. You will reap what you sow. We will all reap what we sow. Now, if we sow to the Spirit, we shall reap eternal life. But as Paul is here saying in verse 3 very clearly that we are the circumcision. In other words, we are the ones who are accepted by Christ. What was the significance of circumcision? Um, well, it was a cutting off of the foreskin that represented the putting away of the flesh. And so there are people who are infiltrating the church at Philippi that's beginning to preach another message that is a false message. What is that message? You need Christ plus circumcision for salvation. So in other words, oh, the cross was insufficient and what you need in addition to that are supplementations of the flesh. And we see it in ministry today, we see it so often where men are not satisfied with the written rule of faith derived from the infallible Word of God, and as a result, they end up developing some humanistic plan that falls flat on the face. And while man, it, it reels in dead men, they leave dead. They come to the altar down, then they leave down. They come as men headed to hell and leave as men who are headed to hell. Because it's nothing wrought or born in the Spirit of God. I like what David Wilkerson said. He said, in his 50 years of preaching, he has not seen a single ministry done for Christ that was, not, that was, that was successful and wasn't born in anguish. So look at what he says furthermore in verses 4 through 6. Though I myself have confidence in the flesh, have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. A lot of this description that he lays down of his religious pedigree may seem irrelevant, and for the most part it may be irrelevant in terms of the uh, in terms of what we admire today, but in principle, it is still nevertheless relevant in that there are people today who have a number of reasons to be confident in the flesh. Look at Kanye West. Does he not have reason to be confident in the flesh? Look at how many albums he sold. He's a millionaire. I don't know if he's perhaps a billionaire. Uh, there are perhaps uh, a number of people who covet his life. And I posted on Facebook today, I said, what is interesting 
is that we have former secular artists for now placing a label on themselves as Christian artists, irrespective of all the fame they've had as a secular artist, and they're taking a stand for Jesus, namely Kanye West. But we have cowards and sissies in the Church of Jesus Christ, namely Lauren Daigle, who claims to be a Christian, but not a Christian artist. It's a sellout. If you are ashamed to confess Jesus as Lord before men, He will also be ashamed on the day of judgment to confess you. That's right. And you know what He will say? I don't know you. And this is eternal life, according to John chapter 17, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent, so that if He says He doesn't know you, you do not know Him. If you do not know Him, you have not everlasting life. If you have not everlasting life, are down. Amen, somebody? Amen. But coming back to the issue with Kanye West, he has every occasion to be confident in the flesh. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not going to judge his spiritual state or his status before God. I want to be, I, I would hope to give him the benefit of the doubt and, and believe that he's in fact saved, but that's not something I intend to make a judgment on. All I would say is be cautious um, before you accept people as Christians, like accept them undoubtedly in the fold of Christ, because it may be, in fact, that they're not and that they're wolves in sheep's clothing. Um, but right here, Paul has a number of reasons to be uh, confident in the flesh. It's not like he's some weak man that was tossed around, pushed around by other men and and therefore he came to Jesus because he was a whimpering guy. He had nothing else going for him. No, not at all. He was a man that was well respected in, in, in uh, the Jewish community. Uh, his birth was a noble birth, according to the Jews. So that would be perhaps like uh, maybe someone born, born after the bloodline of royalty. Why would you want to give that up? You have every occasion to put confidence in that. You can pull strings or you can get things done. But you know what he says? Irrespective of all the value that man places on these things, you know what he says? I count it as feces. I count it as dung. I count it as rubbish, as trash. Can you say that tonight? Before God? before His elect angels, before Christ in the judgment seat, can you say, can I say, that I count all this world as trash for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ? If you cannot say that, it's because you do not know Jesus. And as, as there is a glean, and there are glitter, and, and, and there's this fool's gold that claims to have a substantive uh, material that actually really is worth something. But you know what it is in the sight of God? Trash. Rubbish. That's right. And are we willing to say that Paul was out of his mind? Perhaps so, to many. But you know what? In the sight of God, he was in his mind. While the people today uh, constructing golden calves and bowing down to the image of Nebuchadnezzar and our cowards bowing down to the LGBTQ uh, agenda, they're out of their mind. They are lunatics. 
We are not lunatics. That's right. We're in our right mind. Amen. Who says? God. You want to argue? Argue with Him at the judgment seat. Amen. Every mouth will be silenced. And every mouth will be stopped. And so I want to drive it home that the fleeting pleasures of this world is traps before God. It's an abomination before God. You know what makes God want to vomit? Can, can you take a whiff of the, the, the aroma of this world, the, the prowess and the and the inclusion, and the acceptance, and the exaltation, and all that this world has to offer, that the devil knows very well, will damn your soul, potentially, if you're not in Christ. Can you take a whiff of that? And do you say, hmm, that smells very good? Or do you say, I hate this. It makes me sick to my stomach. And depending on the reaction will depend, will determine whose DNA you're of. What do I mean by that? Are you born of God or are you born of the devil? Verse 8, Paul counts the things that he lost as trash in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Now here's what I will say. If there is no compelling, uh, valuable in a person, namely Christ, then all that this world has to offer would be reasonable for us to run to. Because there, in that case, there would be no God that draws our affection. There would be no lofty uh, uh, God who reigns in heaven who is all valuable. And that's why Paul... Oh, I'm, I'm going to save that thought. I, I don't want to go down there. But I want to now focus on verses 17 and 19. <clears throat> Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. What did the devil come to do? Destroy. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things, for our citizenship is in heaven, from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you, do you not see it today? People parading and, and, and glorifying the things of the flesh. When we see these gay parades, they're boasting that there are blasphemers of God. That's what they're doing. Do we not see people at a... Now, and let me say as a disclaimer, I do not say that uh, football in of itself is bad, um, but there's a point in which it becomes idolatrous, where men parade and, and will be willing to sit in an arena where it's freezing cold and pay a lot of money, but they will not come to the house of God. Yeah. They have their minds set on earthly things. Their shame is their glory. They glory in their shame. And you know what their God is? A pigskin? Mm -hmm. Sweaty men rolling around on a football field playing with a pigskin. Now when we begin to look at it from that perspective, it seems pretty stupid. 
And you're literally putting a bunch of money there. Or what about uh, other things? And the list can go on. About, the, the, or about these young kids who love these race cars and they get a, a, a thrill out of it. Using all their dad's money. Wasting the entire check, even when they got kids. They're fools. Well, that's judgmental. No. It's in, in an appropriate examination of the scriptures. That's what you know. The, the Greek word, uh, I believe, it's pronounced "mornia." Might be mistaken on that, but it's where we get the English word "moron." Mm -hmm. You know, when the scripture says that an individual who pursues after that such that that stuff, scripture calls him a moron, a fool. But in contrast, Paul is offering an example because he is well aware of the imitation that men are apt and prone and, and to wander off into because these people are attempting to infiltrate the church of Jesus Christ at Philippi and begin to teach other things as they are false ministers who masquerade themselves as an angel of light, but they're ministers of the devil. And they're drawing men, as Paul says, not sparing the flock of God, but drawing men unto themselves. Yes. You want to see a true spirit-wrought, substantive, Christ-exalting church? Those leaders will not draw men after themselves, but after Christ. Amen. And after Amen. His Word. That's right. But they're drawing men after themselves, and in... in uh, advising and warning them to not do so, he says right here very clearly in verse 17, Brothers, join in imitating me. Well, how spiritual would you have to be for, for you to say that? So that shows me that it's possible that there can be an imitation, and rightly so, of other people in the faith. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And so in other words, do not follow. You know what the Bible actually calls them? According to Philippians chapter 3 verse 2, look out for dogs. Look out for the evildoers. You know God calls people dogs? Jesus did. You know why? Because they eat anything, even their own body. Didn't I say it was going to be distracting? You're either dead to sin or you're dead in it. And you're dead to God. 
And that would imply that you have not tasted of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, nor died with Him. Therefore, the flesh is not crucified. And so, in contrast, Paul says, get our eyes fixed on those who do imitate a godly lifestyle. And to begin with, there's two things that we must imitate. Godliness, to begin with, and I wish to read a description of what godliness entails. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 21, you don't have to turn there, it says, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing... You will heap burning coals on his head. On his head. Do not overcome. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So that is a beautiful description of what godliness is. Yeah, yeah. Are you fervent in spirit? Are you indifferent towards God? Could you care less that the God of heaven today wants to commune with you? Amen. Or are you rich in fervor, saying, uh, I, "I long to be with this God." Who long to be with me? Do we do we imitate that? Are we constant in prayer? Are we const or are we constantly falling asleep in prayer? Are we patient in tribulation? Can we say today that I will endure all things for Christ Jesus? Amen. Can we say that? Can we say that we actually have love? That we hate what is evil? Do not say that we do when in fact we live a lifestyle of it and love the stuff that is evil on the internet or TV or evil conversations. And do not say that we are godly when you laugh at those who are weeping. Or you're rejoicing when those who are weeping. But rather that you weep when they weep and you rejoice when they rejoice. Secondly is endurance. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4 through 10. You don't have to turn there, but listen. <clears throat> but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. By truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors, yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, 
as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. You know what he doesn't have nothing of? Trash. That's true. But he has all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's a rich man. He's a trillionaire as far as I'm concerned. Amen. Much greater. And look at He's the Apostle Paul. He's seen Jesus in the third heaven. He's a man of great intellect and great perseverance and apparently not great respect. You know why? He's slandered. He's treated as an imposter. And yet this man so loved the church that he would be anxious for the church as if it was his very own. And he says, I travail in birth pains until Christ is formed in you. But you know what he does? Despite all that, he endures hardships, sleepless nights, beatings, imprisonments, riots. You know, I've often said it before, I think it's so ironic and so unfortunate that oftentimes that it is the case that these people who were prior, previously gang members or thugs or whatever on the streets and they were hard, but when they come to Christ, they lose their ability to suffer. What happened? Or what about us tonight? What did we suffer for in the world? Did, did we risk our necks? Did we risk our money? Did we throw away our money? Did we risk family? Did we risk losing our reputation? I can tell you, I risked my neck. I could have died. Could have overdosed. Could have been shot. Could have been stabbed. Have been locked up, lost my freedom, was in prison, but you know what? For the devil. That's right. And for myself. Are we willing to be in prison for Christ? Or are we willing to risk anything? Fortunately, we have the freedom of religion and therefore do not have to fear at this present moment concerning whether we'll be losing our freedom soon or not. But if the time comes, are we really willing to endure? I hope so. But here's where... I want to get at the crux of the matter, is the motivation, because if we don't have a motivating force that fuels such a lifestyle, then I can assure you that we'll falter and we'll, we'll falter and we'll fold. We'll collapse under pressure. And so this is the motivation that Paul has. I have here to please God by demonstrating the internal reality that reflects your death with Christ and your new life in Him. What does that have to say in other words? Colossians chapter 3 verse 2 through 5. Set your minds on things that are above. In contrast to those carnal men who set their mind and confidence in the flesh. Set your minds on things above, not on the things of, that are, are on earth. For you have died. Notice. The condition upon which, or the motivation upon which, the very action to set your mind on heavenly things is predicated on the reality of your death with Jesus. For you have, not you will, you have died. Well, physically, no, then who is he writing to? It's a spiritual death. And your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. <clears throat> Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. 
So notice once again, you know what his motivation is? I've died with Jesus. So therefore, why not put to death the misdeeds of the body when those deeds are connected to a life who is dead to God and alive to the world and alive to sin? Mm -hmm. That's right. The second motivation is this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7-12. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying, now notice this, listen very closely, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies, for we who are, who, who, we, for we who live are always being given over to death, for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh, so death is at work in us. What does he mean, in other words? That the motivation for the things he just listed, namely, his endurance of the things he listed, namely, we are afflicted in every way, and we're perplexed. Okay? Well, I'm enduring these things because when I do so, I'm reflecting, the, I'm demonstrating and reflecting the internal reality that I have died with Jesus and raised up with Him in power so that when I endure these things that ought to kill me, through His power I'm demonstrating that He lives in me. That's right, amen. He lives in us. And so by doing so, we demonstrate to this lost, damned world who do not know the right hand from the left, that we serve a God who rose us from the dead. That's right. And that we are a new creature in Christ. Amen. And that our minds are set in heaven when I can, uh, you know, when we can, without reward, uh, begin to minister to people without money, or when I go into the juvenile hall and I know that I'm not getting paid, I'm not saying I'm being afflicted, but you know what? It does take time out of family. It takes time out of my Sunday. Or what about the things that you give to uh, the cause of Christ? It's an indication that the surpassing worth and prize and treasure is to come and has not yet been given. But when false ministers who masquerade themselves as angels of light, masquerade themselves as angels of uh, as ministers of light, you know what they do? They have private jets. They beg the church and widows for money. Yep. And they do a, a number of other horrendous things. You know why? Because their God is their belly and their glory is in their shame. Mm -hmm. While professing a Christ that they're dead to and they do not know of. They have no motivation. <clears throat> Third of all, we will inherit a resurrected body and a resurrection we must, and after resurrection we must appear in judgment. This is also the motivation of Paul. <clears throat> read another scripture, 2 Corinthians. For we know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, or earthly body, is destroyed, in other words, we die, we have a building, which... Doesn't mean a literal building, but a, an alternative body from God, 
a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, for in this tent, this futile, weak, burdened body, he says in verse 2, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked, for while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. Why? Even despite all the pain, despite all the suffering, despite all the slander, despite all the threats, both from those in the church and without... You know why we're always of good courage? You know why I won't fall? You know why I won't falter? You know why I'm going to keep continuing? And I'm going to be more stubborn than those who are in the service of the devil? You know why? For we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, right. so that every each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Amen. So you know why we're always of good courage? Because I have to give an account to God one day. And he has guaranteed that I will be raised up on the last day and be given an eternal uh, home, uh, namely a new resurrected glorified body. And the lowest of the saints in the kingdom of God in heaven will outshine the greatest and most glorious uh, superstar that these people fall prey to yeah. on this earth. Amen. So I am of good courage. Because it is the Lord who sees everything I do. But that may cause you to be of great discourage yeah. or great fear if you're not in the army of the Lord. <clears throat> this brings me to my central point, which was the centrality and the crux of the gospel message and the thing which Paul preached, the thing that was the central focus of Paul. And it's the resurrection. The resurrection was central and vital to Paul concerning life doctrine, practice, preaching, aspiration, and motivation, and it should be for us too. Looking at 1 Corinthians, this will be the last scripture I read. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12 through 19. Look at what Paul says to the church at Corinth. He says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say, and I'm going to inject this little parenthetical note, say, or live, that there, as if there's no resurrection of the dead. So he's saying, how can some of you say there's no resurrection from the dead? But my, my question was, how can we live as if there's no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, and our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain, we are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testify about God that He raised Christ, whom, has, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. 
And those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we're of all people most to be pitied. You see that? So if you take away the central thing to the gospel message, the very thing we preach and we hope to demonstrate the power of when we endure all things for Christ, demonstrating that it's not a power from our own, for no human being in all of existence, or very few at that, can endure such hardships if there isn't some power from on high fueling them. This is what he says. Point one is Christ hasn't been raised himself. Point two, preaching and faith is futile. That every church is wasting their time. What are they doing? They're preaching a false message. Leading, that leads me to my third point. They're misrepresenting God. <clears throat> Fourth of all, you would still be in your sins. And consequently, those who have already died and you who will soon die will go to hell. Mm-hmm. And lastly, we are above all men must be pitied. Can, can Joel Osteen say that? Can T.D. Jake say that he's of all, of all men most to be pitied? No, not when you're wearing a new suit every Wednesday and Sunday, and you have a private jet, and you have the biggest church, and all men love you and speak well of you, except the lowly Christians whose voices are suppressed in silence through all the noise of all this fluff and superstitious and superficial so-called Christianity. No, they can't. You know why? Because they're demonstrating a lie that reflects that their God is their belly and their glory is in their shame. You might say, ah, oh, but look at their wonderful church. And look at all that they're doing. You know, it's one thing to be good, it's another thing to be holy. You can be good and not be holy. And you can be holy and struggle to be good. Because holiness is an, indi- is, a, is, a, is an issue of who are you set apart to. Mm-hmm. Now, whoever you're set apart to, you might struggle to serve. Yeah. Even people in the service of the devil struggle to serve the devil with everything, or even die at times where it really costs them death. Similarly, they may struggle, we may struggle as Christians, but who are we set apart to? So, in summation... I want to go over the points very quickly and then conclude with the application. Value Christ and set your confidence in Him, not the flesh. For those who walk in an ungodly way have power to influence those in the church. Therefore, don't fix your attention on them or let them be your models. This is the second point. So the first point, don't live an ungodly life. Don't set your confidence on the things of the flesh. Secondly, do not imitate nor look to those who live such a life. Because you will fall prey to them and the consequences that they will reap will be the consequences you too will reap. Rather, fix your eyes on Christ and let mature ministers be examples and models. Such models that are A, godly in character and B, endure and suffer all things for Christ. So that is to say, in other words, begin to, if it applies to you, 
For we may be in a position to model to others, and rather not having one model to us, but draw near and begin to uh, learn from their life, learn from their uh, character, both with respect to godliness and with respect to the endurance that they have. Fourthly, we can be motivated to live such a lifestyle because A, it will please God. B, we will be compensated through the reward of heaven and the resurrection. And lastly, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You know, I, I love and I recommend us to listen to it. Um, the judgment seat of Christ by Leonard Ravenhill. I don't know if you guys have listened to it, but I have listened to it a number of times. You know why? Because I need, once again, for me to reflect on the sobering reality that I, one day, will have a personal accountability to God one day. And I love what he said. He says, you know, uh, that one day he, he was on a ship, and he was looking down in the waters, and he said, all you down there, you're going to rise up one day. All, every last one of them, every precious drop of blood that a dead man spilt through murder, he will give an account to God. Every individual in the days of Pharaoh, in the days of King Herod, in the days that uh, the Gilgamesh was written, in the days of where there was hieroglyphics and all these other things, and all those people will rise up one day. This is the greatest uh, reality in history. There will not be another event that can compare to such a great and horrifying day. I love what I read in a book one time that if we as the ministers of life do not give ourselves to sleepless nights of prayer, then it will be the case that more souls shall have a sleepless night in eternal hell. That's right. In conclusion and application is this, set your mind on Christ, His mission, His judgment seat, eternity, the resurrection, and demonstrate such thoughts, the inner thoughts, through your actions, by stewarding your time, gifts, energy, skills, calling, character, relationship, vocation, Christ exalt, and, and, and be Christ-exalting, zealous, God-loving, and soul-rescuing. How do you demonstrate that you have died with Christ? And that you have in fact been raised up with, through the power of His resurrection via the Holy Spirit. Then you will in fact live a lifestyle that stewards your time, that stewards your energy, that stewards your relationships. You will exclude those that are of ungodly character. You will exclude certain programs that you refuse to watch. You will only begin to read things that will profit your spirituality. And I like what I heard in a sermon one time that all the spiritual dwarfs will begin to sneer at you in jealousy because you that they think that you are supposing that you are better than they. For you do not steward your time as other men do. You do not think as other men do, even people in the church. And so, having concluded this message, my hope is that that we will live a lifestyle that demonstrates that we have been resurrected 
that we have resurrection power residing in us. And that we have, in fact, died with Christ. And that we demonstrate we died to Him because we do not live ungodly lives. Mm -hmm. And we do not commit to ungodly ways. And we're willing to suffer for godliness. As we read in Colossians, He says, Set your mind on uh, heavenly things. And He says, For you have been put to death, therefore put to death all that is sensual. Notice, the, 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 the call to put to death is predicated on the fact that you've died with Christ. And therefore, if you have died with Christ, it enables you to put your mind on heavenly things. You see that logical reasoning? So have we died with Christ? If it is the case that we have, then we can no longer use the excuse that, oh, it's too hard. No, you've been given resurrection power. That's right. Amen. Those who refuse to uh, sacrifice for the cause of Christ, you know, it's a lame excuse. You know, I've heard brothers say to me, hey, you know, I can't go evangelizing today, it's raining. Or my, my, my back hurts, or, you know, all these other lame excuses. You weren't saying that when you were smoking dope. Yep. That's right. You weren't saying that when you were crazy for some woman or some, uh, some male in the world when you worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. You know, so that's what, that, that's the thing. How, how in God's name can I say that I am filled with the Holy Ghost when my lifestyle is of less suffering and less commitment than the substances that have bought, that uh, filled up my heart in the devil's service. Come on. So that if in the devil's name and in the devil's service you did certain things or committed to such a degree, do you not think that after Jesus broke the yoke and chains and bondages of that, that he does not require uh, equal, if not more than that? So that if I was able to travel across, clear across Hanford when the pouring rain for a sack or for a line, then why can I not evangelize in the rain? That's right. Why can I not pray when my back hurts? Why can I not keep moving forward even though I don't see people come? In fact, Sometimes if you're at a, power, a party, the less people were better because there's more drink. <laughs> Sometimes true. the greatest experiences with God are when all the uh, people, you can't discern whether goats or sheep are not present. That's right. But that isn't to say anything bad about anybody, but <clears throat> let us look at ourselves, let us examine ourselves. Amen. Let's go to prayer. <clears throat> Father, I, I come before you, Lord, and I 